Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three, I guess, season five of the Euphoria podcast. We're available on all the same platforms, as always. If you want to see our lovely faces, you can check us out on YouTube. But don't worry, you'll still get all the same fantastic content on any audio-only platform. Or if you throw us on a second monitor, it is Dracos and Yamato Cannon. And today, we are here to talk all about rookies. And to do that, we've brought Peter Dunn on to tell us all about his unique scouting process, his history in the scene, as well as the Mad Lions roster. But before we do any of that, Yamato, I want to talk about week one of the LEC. And I want to do it in a highly original, never thought of before, (laughs) creative format uh, called the good, the bad, and the ugly. So let's talk. What was the good? What was the bad? What was the ugly? And I'll open with what I thought was good. And that is Origins Start. They beat Fnatic. It was clean. It was controlled. What are your, what are your thoughts on OG, Yamato? Are you, are you on the hype train like I am, or do you, do you have some reservations? I was super much on the hype train, but I look back at their drafts, and I think they severely outdrafted their enemies. And I think they had this slowness about them that was justified because of the draft, because they could. Like, the enemy couldn't scale. Like, there was a Swain in one game, and then a Renekton or Dom that was like... Yeah, the second at least didn't get a dive off. It was like the game was just over. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's like I'm I'm taking it with a grain of salt, but Destiny seemed all right. I think uh, I was worried about him because the four others are a very known quantity and Destiny seemed decent. So I think OG still will be a contender. Yeah. Um, do you want to jump in? I've got a list of good. I've got a list of bad. I've got an ugly. Did I you know just you jump have... to bad now? Yeah, well, I mean, do you have a good? Uh, a good? I agree with OG. I think... I think Rogue was also good, honestly, uh, for, for obvious reasons. And then Mad Lions, considering they played G2, also belongs in the good category. I think they showed some promising things, things that are very fixable. Like against G2, they were super far ahead, and then they kind of tossed it away because of the lack of discipline. Mm. But this is something we should expect from rookies after all. Now I want to shift. because See, the good is fun. But yeah. praise is easy. The flame is yeah. what I live for. As Reddit says, we're just here to create clickbait. <laughs> so let's do it right. You know, that's all, that's all I'm saying. Um, the bad for me, before we get to teams or anything else, current meta. Those games were long, dude. Those games were, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the changes to gold. I don't know if it's like double Rift Heralds or whatever, but the games are slow. And coming yeah. from 2019, where it was like a million kills a minute, everybody swapping everywhere, Mirror and G2, and now it's pretty standard. Um and very slow. It's, I think teams are... I, I think the biggest problem right now are that teams are weak. And we got to watch LCS, LEC, and I think overall, always in spring, mm. teams start off slow. And uh, usually it's like the Orn comps that are winning or whatever. Even the Orn, I was surprised when I looked up his winner, it's 28%. It's not good. It's not good. So even though I'm saying that, it's kind of not true. Yeah, like I remember the highlight of Orn for the week was Odawamne's solo killing. Yeah, spec. but he lost. <laughs> but then he lost. <laughs> yeah. That was the Orn highlight, was a single solo kill and a positive CST. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's weird. The meta, I think, I guess ju- the jungle role is just kind of in a cocktail spot. And uh, just in general, mid-game is usually accelerated by taking the enemy's jungle. Usually that's what the, 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 the more powerful team is going to do. And that just is meaningless right now. So I think that's definitely a problem. All right, so I'm I'm gonna be honest. I normally love to give more time to this, but I'm I'm excited to talk to Peter Dunn. So I want I want to I want to zoom through okay. it. It's been waiting to talk okay. to this guy for a while. So I want to hit the ugly, and we both know what the ugly is. Yeah, we, our we, prediction. We, we, put, <laughs> we put the ugly in A tier, and that's why the ugly is here. <laughs> and obviously, this is not a comment on anyone's appearance. Simply the uh, 
level of performance that we saw from none other than Chalka No Fear. Yeah, our tier list did a lot of things right. I don't feel bad about Fnatic and Beat. Yeah. I only feel bad about it now because of how how abysmal Shalka's first week was. That was, you want to talk about cocktail in the jungle, that was a cocktail on the rift. A mess of a performance. This is how we predict now that they will never ever recover and then they will. <laughs> we will just jinx it all, you know? I, I, I don't think they will recover. I, I, it's just that the, their team is filled with one-trick ponies now and they've revealed themselves to be one-trick ponies. Gilius on the Gragas, Odamna on the Orn, bot lane. It's so weird because Forgiven showed us some new picks he didn't play in the past. And then he just chose picks that aren't the greatest right now. It's like he just chose Nasena Aphelios. I don't like them. They're too OP. I need to uh, stay humble. I'm going to pick some Varos, which is something I can't remember him playing in the past. Yeah. But it was always about like the most OPs. He just stayed away from that. Cause I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Zaya proved himself so. to be all right. Yeah, but yeah. Also with Rakan, but that was yeah. with Nautilus. Or and, yeah. And if you look, if you're, a, if you're a Schalke fan, you can say, hey, it was BM of Excel to pick two wind walls, essentially, a Brahmon. <laughs> yeah, that was that was BM. That's unsportsmanlike conduct. But, uh, yeah, that was... I rewatched the games yesterday, specifically the Excel game with Ender, and that game was like... That, that game was just very much like, these are five guys you pull from solo queue. They're all good mechanical players. They all have pretty solid game understanding, but there was no team cohesion. No. Gilius had like an opportunity to start dragging uncontested. The team at some point just decided, hey, we're going to do the Baron because they've been waiting around for too long. And look, they were winning fights. They had more members there. When they were together, they were together. But you just see there's like 20 CS lost here. There's like this guy kind of falling behind. There's like, what is this guy doing in a team fight? It was... It was super messy this week from Schalke. It was it was rough to watch. Like Forgiven did fine. It was only like he did terrible, but he didn't um, yeah. do anything spectacular. Forgiven did fine. Abadagi did all right. Odawamne kind of met. I mean, like everybody was okay. Gilles was really the only one who was really down in the hole in that elite um, game, but it just didn't work. Yeah, uh, I just I, I just feel like they they all have a small champion pool, and when you remove that out of the picture, I think. There is no gain because the bot lane doesn't play the OP champions because mm. that's what the meta is right now. I think especially with, with the generation rookies that came in last year, I think a lot of them used Akali as a crutch. And I think Abu Dhabi was one of them. And now when Akali has been permabanned and then 10.3, hopefully she gets deleted off the planet, <laughs> uh, then um, the true uh, level of some of these mid laners will show. All right, well, that's enough about Schalke and some of the old blood, the old rookies. And today, that's a good, bad, and the ugly as well. Today's all about rookies. Today's all about new blood. And for that, we need Peter Dunn. Okay, hello, Peter. Hello, Dracos. Hello, your mother. Welcome, man. Welcome, man. So I think you're. we were talking to you before the show started, and a lot of people are familiar with your history in Europe, but I don't think they understand how prolific the name Peter Dunn is in esports <laughs> and how long you've been around. Can you can you share kind of your history, how you ended up now being on Mad Lions? So, um, oof, it's the haze of time. It's, <laughs> it's quite a long time. So I've been coaching, I, I've been working in esports for around close to nine years. Um, I started in 2011 on an org in China called Catastrophic Full Memory, um, later became Invictus Gaming. Uh, did some work over the next sort of four years as sort of a part-time, what we would call maybe a bit of a life coach, maybe a bit of an analyst, um, but sort of, I guess, odd jobs, we could say, for four years in China. Um, then kind of retired, left the scene, um, uh, but was offered an opportunity in Brazil um, a year later, um, where I spent two years working for INTZ in Brazil, then three years, and this is my third year now on Mad Lions, Mad Lions um, Spice. For the past few 
And I mean, that like nine years is a super long time. Also, can you please repeat the name of Invictus Gaming before they were Invictus Gaming? What was it called? Uh, catastrophic Cool Memory. <laughs> catastrophic Cool Memory? Yeah. Esports was way <laughs> wild back in the day. Like Samsung Galaxy Ozone or whatever. Like, I just feel like three words and jamming together vaguely with a space theme or an ice theme. And that was like naming an esports team. That's awesome. Um, just like, just, just quickly on your experience in Brazil. So the reputation that I feel like you've, you've garnered here, both from talking to coaches or former coaches mm -hmm. is like, you're the scouting mastermind. But was that, was that the same kind of role that you had when you were in INTZ or was it more kind of a traditional coaching? Role? Um, I, I think it was more traditional coaching. Uh, I've, I've done a combination of the two. Um, but I guess we can say that there are some coaches who are just naturally gifted, naturally talented. They, you, you know, you explain something once and then they, they get it and they never have to research it again. And I think that one of the reasons, I don't come from a gaming background. I basically didn't play computer games until I was in my 20s. Um, I come from a sports background and I find that a lot of uh, things to do with gaming are not things which naturally come easy to me. So uh, I make up for it by doing a lot of, um, uh, a lot of preparation, um, a lot of scouting. Um, I, I think something maybe my players will tell you about is I have the, my 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. slot every day and nobody's allowed to message me during that time and I, I'm watching all kinds of League of Legends during that time. Um, so, Dang, did you have a 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. slot last night before you then came on <laughs> the show? A little bit. I allowed myself 3.30. So. Okay. <laughs> we're starting at like 9 a.m. right now. So you're an absolute trooper, Peter. <laughs> I super appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Iman, I'm curious from your perspective, because like I'm talking a lot about the coach perspective and about the people talking highly Peter Dunn. What was your read, not having worked with Peter before, on what Peter was doing, on what his kind of reputation was in the European scene? Honestly, I'm super picky as a guy with like in terms of choosing who I want to work with. Peter Dunn is someone that I always wanted to work with. Because, you know, in the past, the coaching role, the head coach role was like you have to cover as many bases as possible. And uh, you just did everything, like nutritionist, psychologist, <laughs> strategist, and all of it at once, Heaven. you know? And then you have to, parent, yeah. <laughs> and then you have to delegate, right? And in terms of uh, strategic coach and strategic mind, always from what I heard about players, how uh, I remember what Xerxes spoke about you, and also what I see in terms of uh, your scouting ability, even when it comes to the Mad Lions, Mad Lions roster. I know very little about some of the specific players, but I have so much trust in Peter Dunn that I'm willing to call, you know, uh, Mad Lions a dark horse. So my impression is, you know, super, super high of, uh, of Peter Dunn. Because I know some things that I can't disclose either. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good man, good Skeletons man. Skeletons in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you've been in esports for nine, nine years, there are never <laughs> yes. skeletons in the esports. Is not always been as professional as it is today. Questionable history we all have here. Um, Ten so years for me as well. That's a, yeah. yeah, it's a good stuff. I forgot back when you used to be a player. Everyone's got history. I didn't even know you had a traditional sports. It's it's insane how people end up in this industry. Um, but now on to kind of the proverbial meat and potatoes of the subject. I want to talk about your your process, how you find players, what you look for, what you value. Because for a long time, scouting to me was, as far as I understand it, let's message that one guy on Skype who knows all the Korean players. Mm -hmm. We'll see which ones he recommends. We'll get two of them, and we'll pray to God it's a Hooney Ranger situation, <laughs> and then we're going to win the split. And now it's so much more nuanced. We have these regional leagues. People are pulling from O's. You're obviously pulling very heavily from European talent slash from the TCL in the past. Like, what, what's where do you find people? How do you look for people? What is the process? So, 
I think that it's it's interesting actually because you, you mentioned only players, but I think the scouting process is players and coaches. Uh, and I think that if you look on the if you look at kind of the infrastructure that we have in Europe, I think we're very fortunate in Europe to both as players and as people who are scouting talent and that kind of thing, um, because you have multiple rules, um, multiple routes sort of to the LEC. Uh, you can choose to play in the regional leagues for an academy team. You can choose to play in the regional leagues for a non-academy team, and you can choose to go to an emerging region. Um, and historically, uh, if you wanted to be noticed, the only way you could you could really be noticed is if you went to an emerging region rather than going through Challenger Series. You look at people like Caps, you look at people like Xerxes who were together on Dark Passage. Uh, and you know these people were noticed because of how they played in, in Turkey. Same thing with Humanoid um, for us when we were scouting people. Um, it wasn't as much Humanoid's performances in Europe, it was his performances uh, in games in emerging regions. Um, and I think that it's taken a long time be, because I, I, I've come from, so I know people in the Chinese scene, I know people in the Brazilian scene, but when I came to Europe, I, I knew more coaches in North America than I did in Europe. And it took me a long time to, to, to get to know um, a lot of the rookies uh, in, this, uh, in this area. Um, it helped that INTZ boot camped in Europe uh, in season six. So uh, I, I like to keep notes of all the scrims that, that I've had back in the day. I have, I have notes from, from scrimming uh, uh, Yamato Cannon Splice, uh, from scrimming H2K back in the day, from scrimming Dark Passage, Zergso and Caps' Dark Passage. and. It's, it was interesting looking back on this, uh, 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 at the notes for this show, uh, just just bringing back memories. Uh, I, I remember I, I wrote in, in, in my notes that Caps uh, tended to, uh, to int in mid lane and, and go in the jungle, but had the potential to one day be quite a good player. <laughs> and look at that. He's still in sometimes in the mid lane, now more often than not in the bot lane. And he has proven to be a great player. There it is. Um, but, it, but it was always a case of, Watching, watching players play individually, talking to the, uh, talking to players and staff that they've worked with in the past, uh, and then, if possible, trying to look at their scrims or get um, in-client replays for for their for their performances in regional leagues or in Turkey. Uh, some regions in Europe, it's easy to get access to them. Some regions, it's not. Uh, so, 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 so that's coloured a little bit about where we could look um, mm -hmm. for, for our options. Um, it's worth saying as well uh, that if you're a young player coming in, up, you have many opportunities, many routes to be noticed. Um, but most coaches these days will talk to your past coaches. They'll talk to your past teammates. They'll talk to your uh, past team owners. You know, sometimes <laughs> it's not a good idea to burn bridges because <laughs> um, there's definitely uh, some people that have very mixed reviews. Um, but uh, but yeah, the, there's often. There's often a lot of a lot of information out there for people who are who are keen to look for, keen to look for it. Um, but I think when we're looking for players, I think my sort of philosophy for looking for players is I would rather have somebody um, who's sort of a specialist in specific areas uh, rather than sort of somebody who's who's a general all-round player. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I think the best example maybe I can give for this. Uh, I don't know if people will consider this trash. Let me think of two examples. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm worried people might They're think trying to think of it considered. Yeah, if it's, if it's considered flame. Let, let me think of two players off the top of my head. Okay, somebody like Upset versus somebody like Kobe. Okay, so both of these players clearly right at the top of their craft in Europe. Uh, but I would always, 
uh, generally pick somebody like Kobe because Kobe had very, very clearly defined strengths. Uh, if you looked at Kobe on Splice, uh, he always, um, as an AD carry, he, he was very, he had a very um, effective, what, what I call a switch mechanism. So he understood, uh, okay, I need to play defensive in the team fight, but I know immediately when to go in. And he wouldn't waste half a second. Like you, you could click your finger immediately and he would, he would go in. And, um, and his team fighting was always excellent. Whereas um, you look at somebody like Upset, maybe you could argue better laning phase than Kobe, better, uh, sometimes better mid-game in his rotations. But, but generally, um, to use an example, if, if you look at like an e -sport, EA Sports game, you know, like FIFA or something like this, if you had statistics, maybe you would say that upset was an eight in everything, uh, and maybe Kobe was like a 10, 10, Six, four, four. I mean, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm really yeah. sorry, Kobe. I, I hope you don't consider that, that that's an insult. He's gone now. You're saying he can't, he can't hurt you anymore. Um, but I mean, obviously, Kobe was the centerpiece for, for, for two seasons worth of splash. Yeah. Um, and uh, I find that with players that have these sort of innate uh, talents and specialities, it's often um, you can get something from Kobe, which maybe you can't get from anybody else in the West. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, if somebody has very clearly defined strengths and weaknesses, you have more ability to help them improve on their weaknesses. Um, whereas sometimes um, it, it, the, the amount of work you have to do generally with, as, with a player to get from an eight to a nine is much more than from a four to a five. Um, and that's why generally um, I, I tend to value these people who have sort of specialization. Sometimes it works out great. I mean, Kobe has been one of the players in the LEC mm -hmm. for two years. Sometimes it doesn't. I mean, in the case of Kasing, um, uh, Kasing was somebody who was almost MVP first team uh, in spring 2018. Um, he was, the reason he didn't make first team is because I wasn't going to vote Hillisang that highly because it was his first split on Fnatic. <laughs> he didn't actually play that well. And Kasing was like, no, you, like Peter, you've got to put this guy higher. And he ended up losing up by one point. Uh, so for people, for people who don't know, it's, you get five points for every first place, three points for second, and one point for third. And I was going to put him third, and Kasing said, put him second. And it ended up, that's why Hillisang was on the MVP first team. <laughs> um, but... But it, it, sometimes when you, when you pick specialists, and Kasing was definitely an, an excellent Janna, an excellent Zillion, excellent defensive thresh player rather than offensive thresh player, um, sometimes it can, it can hurt you in, in meta shifts. Um, and I, I, I think Kasing was, I mean, when the game was all 60 minutes, gathering storm, range supports, Kasing was undoubtedly one of the top supports in LEC. Uh, you can argue top, maybe you can argue one of the top. Um, but uh, oh, I, I still think Kasing is good enough to play in LEC, but he was definitely hurt by the meta shifts more than almost any player that, that, that I know. Um, and obviously that, that affected Splice quite badly in the second half of 2018. I mean, that's excellent context to have, and that's something that I've, I've never heard. Kasing, like, there's obviously a lot of memes around Kasing. You know, it's like yeah. the limited champion pool. It was like, it was the, the more, like, mage supports, the Zillions, the Janas of the world, but I never heard someone so... so <laughs> that, is only, that was that was a game. I, I forgot that game exists. Thank you for that one. I remember preparing against Kasing. It was always what I was viewing it as. He has a trinity of champions: ban one, and you break it all. <laughs> and it was like Jana, Morgana, Trash. Okay, we ban Morgana, pick Alistar or something like this. Yeah, and you pick he, something he out, or pick Trash away, and it was like okay. I mean, he we he's, found access. He's one of the. He's a top two Jana in Europe, though. I mean, like nobody would dispute that. Yeah, yeah he's good. Yeah, I mean. And that's and I haven't heard someone so succinctly describe kind of like what what Kasing is about before. But 
I mean, this is like I love the the EA Sports analogy. Or like they're looking for the tens. It makes a ton of sense to me, especially as. I don't know if this is true to you. I don't know. Is if you're ever trying to improve in anything, it's very easy to get yeah. to mediocre. It's, <laughs> it's very hard to get good, truly good at, at anything. Um, I agree, yeah. But I, I would I would go even further to to highlight that this t- characteristic usually that I look out for. I think the hardest thing to teach is like the innate ability to just be very mechanically expressive, mm-hmm. and I think everything else is. Uh, uh, is easier to kind of uh, manifest in terms of words because usually if a player is mechanically poor getting that person to the next level is is always the d- most difficult part mm-hmm. that's what was so exciting for me when I uh, first saw Jizuke because I could clearly see that mechanically everyone can agree that he is one of the best mid laners but there's a lot of craziness involved and if you manage to tone that down eventually you'll have a high level player same with Caps like when he came onto the scene it was a lot of craziness and I remember Seeing that it was uh, there's an interview that people can dig up, where, which I got flamed for at the time. But I said <laughs> Caps is the best mid laner in Europe, and this was the time when Perks was playing, and uh, you could just see the the expression in terms of mechanics, how good it was. And now after working in G2, it is very clear that Perks has kind of transferred this ability to work in the side lane. And I think those yeah. are more mm-hmm. uh, teachable things. So for sure, I agree with the notion, but I would focus in more on the mechanical part if I. Scouting myself, and I agree with you. I mean, one year ago, uh, Splice were looking at the at the options for mid lane, and there were a lot of promising young rookie mid laners coming up, and this was the principal reason why we went for Humanoid over some of the other options. Uh, I think uh, Splice were in a position where we knew when we're talking back, should we talk about Splice or Mad Lights? You can say Splice. I think splice, it's, I think it's fine. Splice, People will understand yeah, more yeah, if it's okay. Splice. Uh, but Splice, Splice were looking for um, when we were looking at options. Uh, splice knew quite early that we would we would be getting a new mid laner. Um, Niski had expressed his desire to look at his options, uh, and I think we we were maybe we had more warning than most teams. Mm. And the first person we went to was Humanoid. Um, maybe some people would say that. Uh, uh, out of the group of Nemesis, Larson, um, Abadage, um, who all came up together. I mean, these these players, their their history is always going to be intertwined with each other. Now, I mean, mm-hmm. they came up in the same in the same group. You know, you could become a very very good player, but if you're not as good as Larson, if you're not as good as Nemesis, if you're not as good as Humanoid, whoever out of those, uh, Abadage, whoever out of those is the best at any time. They can be the best player in the league, and you could maybe be the third best player in the league. Yeah. But you're always going to be judged uh, against those people you came up with. And in those groups, that's the reason why we went with Humanoid, because he had that innate um, uh, ability to, I, I guess what you were saying, skill expression. The, mm. the, the, he, he has no fear. Um, one of my favorite stories with Humanoid is normally on the first day, on your first game when you're about to go on stage, rookies tend to be a little bit nervous. And I had a long speech prepared about how you know nerves are good. It, it's going to increase your adrenaline. It's going to make your mechanics good. Had one look at humanoid, and he was just stone cold killer face. <laughs> it was just, it was just not. Uh, it, it was clearly something which he didn't need. And um, when he's gone on stage, I feel like with humanoid, sometimes when when he's on the big stage against the biggest players, his motivation is there. His focus is there. Um, but the more pressure you put him under, the better he'll perform. And sometimes, he, sometimes some people have said that his his form is a little bit mixed. But I think always 
in the high pressure games when when he he's feeling it that that's when he's performing at his best. You just have to hype up every single mid. <laughs> I don't know. We we got we got leaks. Mickey and Scrims has been literally solo killing. Like, yeah, like you really got to take Mickey seriously this week. It's like the worst thing that could possibly happen is we played against G two I think in week two, and Caps like solo died. To, yeah. to him. At, oh, like no. And he's like, the, stop. And then, <laughs> and then it was a little Blanc versus Rise matchup. And he was playing Rise and Caps was playing LeBlanc and it was Aftershock Rise and he just died to him. And, <laughs> and Humanoid came up afterwards and he was like, oh, I've heard so much about Caps, but he just like, so like, well, what was he doing? He was like, hinting <laughs> this lady face. Um, yeah. Reminds, it reminds me of Attila, honestly. Yeah. Because Attila just played better against players that trash, trash talked him. It was why he, he always played so well. Against upset. Upset. We <laughs> built that so insanely well. <laughs> then it was like, I remember we played the best, best of five against Fnatic. I was like, Attila, Reckless didn't even rate you, man. Didn't even put you on his list. How can you allow this? I'm just trying to, you know, fish for something, you know, always fish for something. It was, it was kind of tricky. It's funny how some, some people work in some specific ways. Because yeah. Attila against upset was like, this is a S tier player. It was yeah. crazy. And then against some others, like, what are you doing dying against one Tarek level one? It was, but, it was silly. But I mean, Humanoid last year was the rookie that was coming up that everyone was excited about. And now he's the veteran on his team. With That's true. <laughs> Which gives us an excellent transition because now he's got a very different role, obviously, this year now that he's the veteran voice. But I think having talked a lot about Humanoid, I do want to talk about some of the other rookies mm -hmm. on your team. Now, um, the name that immediately jumps out to me, mostly because it jumped out to Ender. Ender had a lot of strong words, as he frequently does. Uh, Shadow is a guy that, that I want to hit because from what we saw, very solid early game pathing in the match versus G2 generally seems pretty good. Still, obviously, maybe some rookie yeah. tendencies, but I wanted to get your read. One, why did you get this guy? And then two, how do you feel like it's been working out? So Shadow is somebody which maybe isn't as well known to, to people in the community. Um, compared to some of the other rookies. Um, this is partly because he's half Italian, half Chinese, but only got his Italian passport last year, uh, yeah. which meant that he wasn't able to play in most of the regional leagues in Europe for for most of his, his career as a rookie. Um, he, he is a player which... I mean, in solo queue, he's also somebody who's very hard to find in solo queue. I won't leak his solo queue account. <laughs> it, it basically... Didn't have many jungle games in it. Uh, I think he plays mid mid AD carry um, dual role. He's he's not planning to, to transition to an LEC uh, uh, mid lane or AD carry. He's he's definitely a jungler and he's playing more jungler so now. It's really like one of the most <laughs> obscure scouting pickups possible. Like, you had to be like if you ever had to show, tell someone that you're like a scouting hipster. Shadow would be your prime. <laughs> well, he's Italian and Chinese. He plays mid and AD carry in solo queue, and we hired him as a yeah. jungler. And What's up? <laughs> but lots of somebody who's very highly regarded actually in the Chinese seen uh, amongst people who, who, who know who, who know their their rookies coming up um, but is but I mean I, you can see this kind of play in his jungling so he is as a um, as somebody who plays mid lane as somebody who plays AD carry he understands all the bot lane matchups he understands all the mid lane matchups and I don't know if people maybe watched LEC I, I mean I hope people watchers of the show watched LEC this weekend but we played a game against Vitality um, and the mid jungle matchup was Zoe Jarvan uh, for for Mad Lions versus Cassiopeia Rexai for um, for Vitality um, and this is a matchup where basically if you're Zoe uh, and you have flash and the Rexai doesn't have flash you can do whatever you want for the laning phase um, and if you don't have flash as Zoe and Rexai does have flash you're going to be zero ten at like 
15 minutes. Um, so so what Shadow he, Shadow understood this from the mid lane matchup. He needed to find a way to burn the Rek'Sai Flash. And so he went red buff into camping in uh, the jungle with the specific intention to to blow the Rek Skeenzer's Rek'Sai's Flash. Uh, it, if you look on paper, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why, why would you go? He did sit there for a very long time. I mean, he sat time. there for, for 25 seconds. Uh, <laughs> like, not farming a jungle camp with a juicy rat to camp. It's very early in the game if you want to go back uh, and watch the VOD. It's like, it's like three minutes it's in, second two camp. minutes it's in. Yeah, he second goes camp. red buff to, to the bush above enemy red buff. To, to enemy <laughs> raptors, yeah. And, but, but it's this understanding that he just needs to get the Rek'Sai Flash. And if he gets the Rek'Sai Flash, he doesn't have to do anything, you know, for the rest of the early game. He, he's achieved his objective. And this is something which comes with his experience playing mid lane. I mean, mm. he likes to play Zoe. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to comment on his skill level on Zoe, um, but but uh, he understands these matchups. Mm. And um, I think that there's a lot of things. He, he's a player that sort of we've been tracking, as with all the rookies uh, that we have this year, we've been tracking for more for more than a year. I think Kaiser is the only one who um, who is who, who who sort of has earned his way onto Splice. Uh, sorry, onto Madlands. Um, as a result of his performances in this year in the regional leagues. In fact, uh, going into EU Masters uh, has been pretty scary because we've known that, you know, Kazi might have a pop-off game, Shadow might have a pop-off game, um, Arome might have a pop-off game. We're gonna, these players are going to be chased by, by everybody. Um, so you like, once you find them, you're like, please play mediocre for the rest <laughs> of the year. Like, <laughs> you have a job, we swear, <laughs> but please just don't be too good. But, but people often say, oh, you're taking a risk with rookies, but these are players that, that sort of, I've known Kazi since, since he, was, he was 14. Um, actually, the, my, my Kazi story is I was scouting Kasing. Um, we, we were planning to bring in Kasing since we talked about him. I was watching Kasing in solo queue, and he was against. He was playing Caitlyn Thresh against Lucian. I think it was Lucian Alistair. Um, and rough, yeah. <laughs> and um, and basically, Alistair had roamed somewhere, and Lee Sin had come to gank. Uh, double buff Lee Sin coming into your lane around nine minutes. Um, and what Kazi did was he, he predicted Kasing's flash play to dash out of it, flashed forward over Lee Sin Q, managed to kill Lee Sin, got the red buff, killed Caitlyn, and then flashed under the tower to try to kill Kasing with his, with his W, with his Lucian W. Yeah. Didn't have enough mana. The red buff, uh, which was on Kasing, oh, triggered. Oh, triggered, triggered the <laughs> triggered tower, the tower. Anything, and then he died. And he walked away out of the tower, uh, and then Kasing used that gold to buy Moby Boots and won the game. And, and, <laughs> but I remember thinking, oh my God, what, what, what did I just see? Um, who, who is this player? Is this like Forgiven Smurf? Is this, you know, uh, because, because it, he wasn't really a, a very well-known player at the time. I, I didn't even know who, who he was. I didn't find out who he was until later. Um, and so he's been somebody that we've been tracking for a, a very long time. He's only 17, hasn't been able to move into gaming houses until very recently, So, but has shown his level already uh, at regional competition. Uh, Honestly, this is just like, it's, it's really exciting, and there's so much here that I, I think to kind of wrap this whole discussion up before, before we let you go, Peter, it's just, it's incredible to me how much of this is like a, such a long-term process mm -hmm. and how much of this is, because when, when people tell me someone's a scouting master, I assume it's just like you watch the solo queue vibe and you're like, oh, look at this guy. He's really smart. Or, oh, look at this guy. He's got great mechanics. I didn't really appreciate how much went into like just like checking references, like a job <laughs> interview, like talking to every former player, every former coach who will talk to you, getting a read on like even more like a personality, a work ethic, 
all this stuff and how much of it is built so far in advance when you talk about you're looking for Kasing, you kind of found Karzi along the way, you came up again, you're like, I remember this is this is the forgiven smurf. It wasn't forgiven at all. Uh, it's just it's it's absolutely incredible to me. It's it's definitely interesting. I mean, one of the things so just before before we we bring it to a close, like I just on the coaching side, yeah. uh, one of the things which uh we've had on Splice and on Mad Lions is we've always had a saying that provided you, you know, if you have a reference and you have like a some amount of portfolio of work, we will interview you. Uh, I've interviewed 150 maybe plus coaches. Not all of these coaches are very good. Uh, If you're a very good coach, it would be sort of a two-hour interview on sort of your mentality and thoughts about the game. One hour follow-up interview on your in-game knowledge and like a 30-minute case study. Uh, some coaches don't last past 15 minutes, I mean, <laughs> if it's clear. But but uh, I think we're very lucky for somebody for somebody like me who really likes to, to do their scouting that, that the way that Riot has their ERL set up in Europe gives you a lot of opportunity to get this information. Mm. You know, there's there's a lot of coaches who we see coming up now who've proven themselves on the ERL. You know, people like... Bloomingen, people like Kanani, uh, Bloomingen on Rogue, Kanani on SK, um, who who pr- sort of proved themselves on the re- in the regional scene. And in fact, if you go and have a look at how Bloomingen teams used to play in Turkey or used to play in the ERL, it's very similar to how Rogue plays today. I mean, obviously, Freddie has a yeah. large amount to say as the head coach, but um, but it's just interesting watching the progress of a lot of these coaches who are coming up. Uh, in a way that was not um, really possible before. I mean, before I could go, if I wanted to look at how a Dylan team, Dylan Falco yeah. team plays, if I wanted to look at how a Young Buck team plays, I could always see that. I could, I, I, one, 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 one week, I decided to just watch every single uh, Young Buck. I'm, young Buck I'm, I'm curious now. How does the Yamato Cannon team? How play? does the Yamato Cannon team? Oh, play? okay. This has to be the last <laughs> one. Before we with a lot of flair, with a lot of unpredictability and a lot of aggression. Uh, okay. Uh, but often uh, the games between Slice and Vitality were always very fun because we knew there was always something unexpected at the end. <laughs> uh, and some, some coaches like a lot of structure uh, around, around their teams and around how their teams play, whereas some coaches give their players a lot of freedom. And that was the, that was the Yamato thing uh, <laughs> that we noticed. And please don't use that against us. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask one more thing? One more you, thing. One more, one more thing. thing. All right, Yamato. All right, you're, this one you're is, fired this, up. I'll this one, one is more. really big. This one is really big because this is. I want to know this. Okay. I, I want Peter to teach me because because everyone's always talking about you know uh, like the argument against scouting in China is that you know uh, oh China is the strongest region. They have the most money. Why would a Chinese player ever leave China? Mm-hmm. But there's this problem of not being able to view uh, the solo queue, or sometimes I've found the websites, but they're quite terrible. You know, the connection is horrible. What do you think about scouting Chinese players? Keep it like, we'll give it like quick. Give us, the, <laughs> give us the TLDR because I, I know you and know your experience. You have, I know that there's like, I know you could go in for like 20 minutes. And let him talk, man. No, we can talk later. We can do a follow-up episode. But I don't know this answer. I know, knows, but we got, we got, we got um, to do, my friend. The vods are out there. The um, Across the Great Firewall, um, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the quality isn't always the greatest. Um, but I think that in China, there's a lot of different servers. Um, historically, the place you would go for Chinese talent was the Ionia server. Um, oof, back in the day, there were 27, but I, I assume there's got to be... I, I have no there's idea how now. many servers. There's more. <laughs> there must be like... But you always look at... You always used to go to Ionia um, 
or Korean or, or Korean ladder, but mainly Ionia for China. Um, and they now have a, a special tournament server. Like you have to be diamond one on a diamond two on a different server. And most of the talent now is concentrated there uh, for solo queue talent. So, there you go. so free information go 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 to the secret <laughs> server all right i love it peter i just thank you again so much for talking thank to us much. um obviously shout out to mad lions they've got an exciting schedule ahead of them i'm, I'm curious to see how your rookies do and if you are an aspiring coach or analyst with even a small resume of work <laughs> peter dunn will give you a 15 <laughs> to two hour interview that's um that's super cool once again thanks for joining um after the break we're going to be talking about the rookies currently in the LEC, not just the ones on Mad Lion, and uh, coaching them, experiences coaching them, and how it's different from maybe coaching veteran players. Welcome back. Now, last weekend, after their first games on stage, some of the rookies opted to talk to our video team and share with us a little bit about the differences between their previous experiences in the regional leagues and now playing on stage here in the LEC. So I think uh, LFL and LEC, it's a bit the same. It's just the level, I think, is more um, higher. So I think that's all. But it's a bit the same. It's uh, actually not that much different from like Prime League. I think the only the main difference is the professionalism and also that you get so many people looking at you. Like you just uh, you play your, your your game and like uh, you don't think about like the 100k pe people watching you. You just don't think about the 100,000 people watching you yeah. waiting to see if you mess up, waiting to make Reddit threads about whether or not you fail. But it's mo but I think that was crazy to me is that they're they're like it's mostly the same as the regional leagues, which is really cool because I don't think we would have said that when Challenger was still around. I think that's a thought exercise that you shouldn't have, like imagining how many people 100,000 actually is. Because <laughs> I thought about this the other day. It's like you stream, you have 100 people. That's like a that's like a cinema already, like of people just watching you. 100k. That's like a that's like you. That's could, a lot that, of cinemas. That's like an army for a small country. That's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that is crazy. I'm just curious about these guys. You know, when it comes to the rookies. Uh, sure, maybe in the regional leagues, uh, playing live, maybe the crowd sizes are very similar. I know the LVP is very popular, but then what happens when they're going to play like in Athens, for example, or in Paris? And then all of a sudden, you know, everything shakes in a different way. You hear the cro like crowd roar, and that is a complete different experience. I think we will definitely have to do a follow-up. If any of the rookies yeah, yeah, yeah. make it to one of the big stage... Just uh, track their heart rate when they're playing. Make it to Budapest. <laughs> yeah, we track their heart rate and then we compare it to the interview. And we're like, okay. He's like, yeah, I was fine. I'm like, are you sure? Because your heart rate said you should have been dead. It was beating way too fast. You sure you were fine? No stress at all? You know, I was lucky because my first rookie game was against the biggest team, which was Gambit at the time. And it was also in Lille, France, because back then, like yeah. in season three, there were like road shows. And then it was like a wooden arena. So when the crowd was like just, they were like stomping, everything was like, it was like an earthquake. I was like, shit, should we evacuate the building? You know, it was, it was horrible. And I was, I was nervous as shit. So these guys, these guys uh, definitely, if they are standing by the words, then good for them. I know. I like, and that's what I like to hear. And good to hear constantly that the regional league thing is working. Peter Dunn's talking about it makes it much easier to find talent, much more roads for talent to come up. Talent's a little sure. more comfortable when they come on the stage. Um, but that said, 
I want to think a little bit about the rookies that we saw play this week and about the teams. Obviously, we had a lot of opinions coming into the week. We did, uh, you know, good, bad, ugly. It was a decent amount of bad, was a decent amount of ugly last week, but there was also a lot of good. Um, and some of that good was the rookies. Who, who stood out to you among the rookies? I think the easiest one to say is um, just uh, Mad Lions as a whole. Because I think, especially in the G2 game, I think the weakest performer was indeed Humanoid on the Mordekaiser. Yeah. So I looked back at that game, and there were times where he was getting caught. There was that big team fight that G2 like outplayed them and outmaneuvered them, but that was just humanoid not pressing R, you know, and he just died without using ultimate. And I think the rest of of the field, uh, like Shadow, he passed the Leeson test. There's like yep. these champions for every <laughs> role. That's like this is this is the this is the bar. If you pass it, then you're allowed to play like this variety of champions. Uh, like for Super Dust Trash or for, for Jungle is Leeson. So I think Shadow uh, looked good on the Leeson. Uh, the second game, uh, I liked what Peter Dunn was talking about in terms of understanding, you know, more than just his jungle position because I think those are the best junglers. As ironic as it might seem, I think like if a mid laner became a jungler, that would be just next level, you know? I mean, that's the Cadrill story, right? And like, yeah. I don't know how much, like, I haven't heard. He's from, super good. He is super good. I haven't heard how much, like, he takes that information with him or if yeah. he just moves on but I think that we've seen that like good mid laners can be good anything is yeah. my theory and Kader wasn't even a good mid laner no he was <laughs> his most famous moment was where he cancelled his own Malzahar ult on that H2K yes. game I still remember that that was against us I think it was the worst right click in the history of right clicks he had the kill and he just cancelled it oh. uh, yeah. sorry Kajal you're a wonderful jungler yeah he is he really is um not a rookie though, but I'm I so names that names that stood out to me outside of the man Mad Lions is there's a lot of names that I think that I'm kind of waiting to see more from that I haven't really gotten a good scent of. Yeah. Uh Razork. Yeah. yeah, Razor K. As I prefer to call him, but Razork. Um obviously Ronaldo is a guy that we like really haven't seen yet. And I the Misfits as a whole, I just feel like this is not rookies necessarily set up for success. Like they came in, they kind of they had a tough matchup. Dan Dan being the kind of guy I expect to carry, it had kind of a meh performance. Uh, and well, if Mad Lions is an example of like rookies done right, Misfits is an example where you're hoping that the sample size is too small and they're going to show you something else in the weeks to come. Yeah, but it's just so hard to imagine because I like it's such a tough process to make uh, players uh, stage ready. It's a tough thing to teach. And I don't know if the coaching staff is prepared to to figure out uh, something so complex. It can happen when the right things click. You look back at specific moments and maybe you, you can learn from the first week. Because the contrast is, of course, we're going to compare all of these rookies to, to Mad Lions that had a fantastic start. And uh, when you take a personality like Kazi, he seems to be enjoying himself on stage. He seems to be having fun. He seems to be loose. And there's this uh, freedom of expression. And that's uh, the same vibe that I got off of uh, Vitality when we sprung out on the scene with, the, with with my guys, where we in the in the first game everyone was loose, everyone was happy, everyone was excited to play on the stage. And I think this is something that is a trait that is very valuable to have. And I think when it comes to misfits, like you know that that EQ, the Javan Flash EQ, that was like that set the tone for the whole weekend. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Like, did. The flat. Now to be fair. He did force flash out of Hansama. Yeah. Hansama panicked flash. Hansama was convinced that he was going to land it, and then he didn't. He probably felt pretty dumb about it. But yeah, I, I clipped that out. That was. That was it funny. was funny until you appreciate that that was like a player's first time on stage. And you're like, oh man, that sucks. Like, that's going to stand with you. You're going to doubt every EQ for the next week of scrims. Yeah. And like, who else do we have? I mean, it's we like got Vitality. Comp. 
We got Skeens. I mean, you can call Saken a rookie. Obviously, not the intended starting mid laner, but I, I thought Saken was actually. If we want to put Saken in that rookie class, because I don't think those games that he mm-hmm. had when he was with you um, were enough to take him outside of rookie yeah, yeah. status, I was impressed by Saken, which maybe isn't great because he's not the primary starting mid laner. We're going to see a different mid laner this week, most likely, assuming health uh, health is sorted. But Saken was pretty good. Two Casio games. I thought that in terms of individual performances, Vitality. Not quite 100 percent together as a team, but he he stood out. The Casio looked clean. I, I think it was was decent, and it also felt like Skeens went back to the things that he kind of uh, knows because he has so much history play, playing Saken. with Saken, 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 Saken. Yep. Honestly, I asked Saken, Saken both which one does he, he prefers, and he's just ah whatever. I was like, that's the worst. I'm just mixing that's, it up. <laughs> that's the worst. They need cuz if they don't have an opinion are we just supposed to decide yeah, yeah, for them? So so I don't. I just I just, just mix, mix it. it. You just go back and forth. But I agree with you. Saken his his performance even when he played with us was was quite decent. Uh nothing uh, too crazy. Not like uh, caps level, you know, first mm-hmm. performance, but this is something that is just once in a lifetime almost. Uh, I think um uh, when I look at the whole Vitality roster, it's also so hard to judge with week one because I think uh, it is easy to forget how much the meta and how your draft impacts it. Because mm. uh, even outside of the conversation of rookies, when I look back at the OG games, even though we're praising OG so much, I look back at the both both drafts that they played and they were very easy to execute. Both games was against a Swain and a Renekton and the enemy just had a very bad read on the meta. And uh, maybe now when there's a lot of footage to work with, a lot of games to work with, there's LCS, LEC, maybe we will see all of these players, rookies and veterans included in a whole different light. So I think that's also a major issue that usually uh, kind of disappears after week one. Yeah. I think in regards to like vitality, I think it's just you. there's so many different factors. It's week one, potentially a you know new meta, you got new, obviously new players as well. Just because Mad Lions had a had a semi successful week does not mean that everyone's going to hit the ground running in the same way. Yep. Um, but to me, it was cool that Saken did as well as he did. I feel like we Skeens is a weird one because the the Schalke game was so bizarre because Trick just was power farming the entire game. It's like hard for me to. Yeah, it was yeah. like a non interactive well, jungle game. game yeah. um, and then Comp had good score lines and good stat lines, but also I just. I, did, I don't know how much like misfortune to me is such a character where. I think misfortune is really it's a bait. It's a well, big bait. It's yeah, potentially a bait in the context of meta, and it's also just like I don't think like comp played well, but unlike I'm just not used to watching Misfortune, I guess. So I don't know what good Misfortune play looks like as opposed to okay, you pushed your R uh, and uh, the Braum didn't block it, so so good job, I yeah. guess. Like <laughs> I think you auto attacked a few times in a fight, like it's, For sure, it's much less clear to me. Because because that's what I was referring to in terms of draft. Like what can he really ex- show to us? in yeah. this game like there was this okay they got a good base timer to use misfortune move speed to come back into late with two long swords and then they did a silly base when they had cloak of agility that's the only thing I can <laughs> yeah, judge that from that was so random that's like really strange <laughs> you couldn't wait for 75 more yeah, yeah, was, wait for a BF sword you just it was, it was, it was strange and then like uh, what's it called He's he's playing as you said misfortune against Braum and Orn and he just can't kill tanks can't get through anything so how do you judge this player I think yeah. it just and like the, the obviously the Vars game was was pretty solid too and I thought Skeens Skeens obviously five one and three crazy good scoreline um, while we did hear about kind of how Shadow shut him down earlier tried to shut him down and set human up for success ultimately Skeens still was able to just repeatedly like make stuff happen across the map. 
Um, partly because of what you talked about, if him reverting to old habits, like playing well around Sock and Saken yeah. um, and making that work. So overall, what else? also there's supports. They count too. Um, even harder, I think, to have a strong opinion on supports though. Yeah, yeah, especially Kaiser in this limit, like Especially in this method. I like mean, yeah, Brom. Brom. There's a lot of not loose Leona. A lot of OP champs in the support role. Tam Coco. Yeah, Kaiser. I mean, Kaiser had a nice Rakan game, but like, once it's it's really hard. I think yeah. you need bigger sample size for me to determine what a support contributes because sometimes, like, if anyone else is winning, if you're already winning lane, I guess support roaming is what you look at. But it's still two games is small sample size to determine the future yeah. of a rookies. Obviously, some of these rookies come out swinging. They have one or two games. Easy to say, hey, wow, this guy is great, but it's still a small sample size. So then, my question looking forward: How, how do we evaluate in the weeks to come? these rookies how do we evaluate their growth when do we say like this rookie is improving this rookie is going to be you know really great versus this guy might not have what it takes how, how do we kind of evaluate these new names as we look forward i think it's it's hard to set like rules for it but i think a consensus would be uh within a year they need to prove something significant maybe even within a split considering there's so many players waiting in line uh to to prove themselves and then uh, afterwards, there needs to be longevity because I've seen a lot of players that have hung around maybe for one split and then yeah, kind uh, of burned you, out fast. you're kind of hoping that they reach that form again and it just kind of never happens. And um, it is all about how uh, you prepare players for that veteranship because even though, uh, you know, uh, the skill and the talent uh, part of it is very important, how you turn these players into professionals is also super important because when you bring a rookie into your house, like into your gaming house, you have to understand the, the idea that you are taking most of the most of the time you're taking them away from their family unless uh, they've played in like some other gaming house or something. Most of the time you're taking them from what they know, uh, taking them away from from love, from care, from all of these things that they are used to, and um, they need to become adults and. Uh, in these cases, they need to look have a role model that they look up to, and you need to prepare them for professionalism. And I think uh, this is what makes the coaching role uh, even more responsible in in esports than in other traditional sports. Because, like for example, I started playing football when I was like four, and I, I had a coach. He told me to have fun. You know, it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't a crazy <laughs> thing. But the structure started from there, right? The idea of responsibility started from there, and you kind of grow within a system. And then in, in esports, you kind of you get thrown into something when you're 17, and then it's like you need to be ready to to really, really take these responsibilities upon yourself. And depending on who you're surrounded with, that's going to be easier or harder. So sometimes we've seen players, you know, one split, they're great, and then it's like. That's the one split all the redditors refer back to. It's like he might be that good or whatever, you know. I did that was exile. Happens. Was it 2016 summer on Rise? I was like, Exile's the king of mid lane. He's unstoppable. Yeah. And then after that, we were just chasing that split for the rest of his yeah. his time. It's also the meta, right? Sometimes just the meta fits right. And I think that was the case with Exile. Like he had Rise, Leblanc, Malzahar, and I remember HK just banned all three. Yeah, Chichu banned all three. That was the one they made for. Yeah, was that spring? Yeah. I don't remember if that was spring or summer, but they banned. Yeah, they banned yeah. Rise, Vladimir, and Cassidin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When like literally no one was playing, at least Cassidin except for Exile. <laughs> they were just like, you can't. And then he was chasing that forever. Yeah. You could see it in his play that he yeah. was chasing that, but it just looked desperate, right? Yeah. So. And it's, I think it's, it's a really cool thing, and I'm curious how this evolves more because I think the nice thing about these regional leagues, 
like like the LFL in France or anywhere you want to go, Super League of Orange, is that like you get a more of an adjustment period. But it is in esports one of the only things in the world where you go from solo queue where your choices are talk with your teammates who are let's be honest in EU West most likely toxic yeah. um, at best a pleasant conversation at worst <laughs> completely vitriolic um, and or mute all which is no communication at all to a team environment where it's all communication ideally healthy communication but there has to be some kind of communication right yeah. and I think that's a hugely jarring transition but I'm curious how you handled it because you came in to Splice when Spli- after swapping away from Diggy, you you came in uh, either as they're qualifying or after they're qualifying. I don't know. You can correct me on that one. So, so they they qualified and uh, right as as they qualified, I joined Splice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I left uh, Rocket because funny story. I wanted to create the roster with Kabushat, Nuktak, Forgiven, Vander. <laughs> And that would have been that would have been the craziest challenge of all time. Yeah. But that uh, that fell through because Nuktak went to to Vitality and everyone went kind of in their own direction. Uh, and um, uh, then I went to Splice. And what was exciting for me was the fact that uh, they ha- there are, that these are five guys coming from a very similar cultural background. Uh, they were all Danish, and um, they showed a lot of um, potential in what they showed during the Challenger series and from speaking to everyone that has interacted with them in solo queue and that know them personally because the Danish community is quite tight-knit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they have this club tag that is yeah. in, in, like loyal. It's <laughs> <laughs> the club tag Wait, that, really? that is no. here, here on, in, in, in US. So it's kind of funny. You know, I remember Sven was there and like most, a lot of guys were there and uh, uh, it was easy to um, kind of uh, create an opinion about them. Yeah. And uh, then from the get-go, you know, usually the first split that I work with is kind of the test split. You know, I see who, who belongs here and who doesn't. It was uh, the same in Vitality. When I joined, I was like, okay, uh, I'm in the middle of the season. I'm not going to be able to make some incredible changes coming into summer. I need to uh, just uh, see this as the test period, who belongs here and who doesn't. And then I wanted to keep Nuktak, but he had other ideas. And then Kabusha was kept. And then we had... Uh, I had the option of getting the roster with all of the names that you recognize mm-hmm. or the roster with the names that no one kind of recognized and we would rate it at the bottom. And I just uh, felt like, um, you know, if we're going to work another year here, we're going to try to strive for something higher than just, oh, go playoffs and then we're happy, you know? Yeah. It's boring to have the same players getting beaten by the same players over and over. Yeah, and that was a problem for a long time, all the recycled talent yeah. going through. And a lot of that resolved itself as the regional leagues got stronger, as it swapped over to um, you know the long-term partnership slash franchising model and people felt like they could take more risks on low talent and that there wasn't like every single split was about survival for a lot yeah. of those lower-tier teams. And then um, there's NA. It's like, what's going on over there? Uh, well, yeah, we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> you know, there's not a lot to say. Not a lot is going on over there. I think it's as much <laughs> as I'm willing to say about that. Um so, but I want to. What I wanted to say is that, like, you are in a unique position where you've coached essentially an entire team of rookies. You've coached also in your time on Vitality, like, essentially an entire team of veterans, just about, and then back to kind of this mixed fifty-fifty. Obviously, like Kabushard being this veteran voice and uh, all new players, um, not all new players, but like a, a, a completely new bottom side of the map. So, what what are the big differences? You already mentioned. You know, you want this positive role model so that when they come in so that they can, like, kind of get into this level of adulthood. But what are the biggest differences in your experience between coaching these, like, these big veteran names like Cabo versus young new players like Senkux or Kabe when they're first starting out or, um, you know, Jazuke or Attila? I think, you know, there, there are some veterans that stand the test of time. 
and um, Kawasha definitely uh, I can put him in that box. There are some players that that know the recipe behind uh, figuring out how they reach a good level again. Mm-hmm. I think the best example that we have here in Europe, in in history of Europe, is is Perks, because even though he sometimes uh, looked sloppy when they took breaks with G2, like pass alterations of G2. Always at the World Championship, even though G2 didn't accomplish much with the Sven Mithy uh, alteration, he was always the standout player. Even now at the World Championship with G2 when they went all to the finals, Perks was performing out of his mind, Caps as well. And um, there are some veterans that just know uh, how to pace themselves out. Because mm-hmm. most of the time with Cabo, even though he took a, to, takes a break during the offseason, I know that I can trust him to to reach that level again. And then when you have a player that has figured out how to improve in his own position, you can focus on how to make them better as a teammate. And that's that's like liberation, right? When you've uh, when you have a player that just knows his role, uh, this is where you want to push rookies towards. You want to make them kind of function in a way where they figure out their own problems. You don't want to Basically, the, the cliche is you don't want to give them fish all day. You want to teach them how to fish. Mm. You want to uh, teach them how to solve their own problems and how to address things and affect things around them. And eventually, they reach that point where you can focus on things that are just bigger than just uh, inherently just in the game. So with Cabo, it was just like, uh, okay, you have an option here. You are so good at what you're doing and you can spread that to everyone else. Uh, we can focus on the aspect of leadership. And this is the role that he took upon himself. And as he figured out his role, luckily the meta was like Sion Orn every game. So that was perfect. Sion Orn. Yeah, he didn't have like, to worry that much. Yeah, yeah. They're in a grasp trade and everything was going to be fine. He could yeah, look yeah. at other lanes. There was like a like a little chess game. It's like, I have the materializer. You have this super minion coming at me. Remember the cannon? Yeah, oh God. <laughs> it was a good time. Hold man. on to three stacks of DMAT <laughs> for late game supports, taking it too, just to kill the uh, bear yeah, creep. Good times. So he could focus on that role. And then with rookies, it's all about just making sure that they become their own working engine. And uh, uh, I've put a lot of effort into this. I think it's just uh, just key. I think I've been very fortunate to work with, you know, it, it's weird because my scouting process is a lot, it comes down to uh, the gut feeling. Mm. The impression you get from, I wouldn't be able to quantify it how I can view a player and see how he's good or not. This is something that just comes with experience, I guess, because I played uh, myself. And then uh, the gut feeling in terms of how the personality functions. Like how what is the story of how they got to where they are or how are they just viewing the game? So basically you ask them, usually I ask them questions in terms of, oh, this is how you view this, what do you think about this? And just uh, seeing their thought process act in real time. And um, when I look at the history of the players that I played with, my strength as a player wasn't that I was great. I just managed to surround myself by good players. Because there was a time where Darkwing Jacks and, and Incarnation, which is Jensen now, everyone hated these guys. <laughs> everyone hated these guys. Uh, they were just, uh, you know, they were just enjoying themselves. But uh, I saw that there was a class there, there was a level there that when they actually try harded, when there was something on the line, when there was something to prove, then it was easy for them. The game came very easy for them. I remember uh, there was an argument between Jensen and Darkwing Jax. Jensen, Jensen was like, yeah, I'm rank one. 
uh, and then he was swearing, 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 usual, usual stuff. And then Darkwing Jax is like, it doesn't mean anything. And then uh, Darkwing Jax just reached rank one on a new account in like two weeks. And then his name was like XX Dragon Lord XX, <laughs> like the most troll thing ever. And he just did it to prove something, right? So the, the skill was there and I just, just took the risk. Nuktak inspired me because I was on Jensen's troll list. Oh, he just right. went Phantom Dancer Fizz all the time when he had me in game. And then we just made the team together. And uh, when I look at my history, I've always been able to surround myself uh, with, uh, with, uh, with good players. That's my strength as a player. <laughs> There's so much to unpack there, but <laughs> I just forgot how bad early seasons in, I mean, NA and EU and the troll list. <laughs> Damn. There, there were troll lists. There were many troll lists. You troll this person every game. <laughs> Don't make a troll list. You'll get banned. Of course. People get banned. That, there was a, like, we... He was banned, EU even for learned, a long yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> you learned the hard way. Yes. Uh, there, there were some very long-term bans. Some people never recovered. Other people went to North America. Um, I honestly lost I honestly lost my question because of the trolls. Um, <laughs> so here's, here's the thing. So when it comes to you being a coach, mm. you feel like you've generally got a pretty good sense. You surround yourself with people. But I'm curious, what's, what's the harder thing for you? Is it building this environment where you can get this communication where players can kind of like learn, be independent in their own roles and also hopefully be good people or is it just teaching people the game? Like what do you find is, is the biggest challenge of coaching and especially coaching rookies? It is, it is weird because it always, it always changes. For example, the biggest difficulty with Vitality was that we had severe consistency issues. Mm. We also had issues in terms of uh, uh, making scrim practice good because the idea of uh, of working from behind was something that uh, like not everyone necessarily agreed with. Basically, like if we were in a position where uh, the game uh, like something goes wrong, then it's like uh, instead of working from that position, it was like okay, we should focus on fo uh, fixing the thing that went wrong. So usually our games were like either they were perfect or they were just a complete disaster. So if we had like a clear path to victory and everything kind of fell into place, we are playing rise, jace, diving, 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 snowballing, then everything looked clean. But then if something went wrong and we were behind, all of a sudden it, it, it didn't work so well. And I think uh, in terms of uh, scrim practice, we got away with bad scrim practice for a very long time because figured, we figured out a way to still, you know, when I was on stage, I was like, okay, results don't matter, the lessons are there, let's take it with us. But then eventually the scrim practice gets to you. So this is a different aspect, right? Where the consistency was a problem. In Splice, our issue uh, was more that uh, uh, we couldn't figure out how to uh, do jungle mid communication and jungle bottom communication. And this is a completely different issue, right? But when it came to the concepts of consistency, uh, working uh, how to play the macro or how to do the lane swaps or how to play the map at a certain point, that came very, very easy. So we had to like create banded solutions for both things because sometimes uh, teams reach a certain ceiling in some aspects of the game and in some others they don't. So with Vitality, it was a very explosive roster. The idea was from minute one to be in charge and then just go because that worked for us. When, when in Splice, it was more about focusing on the scaling, stalling out the game, lane swapping and getting out of uh, the idea of... Uh, figuring out early game and taking the responsibility mm. of early game. So I think it's all about just, you know, it, to answer your question, I think it always differs from situation to situation, player to player. It's just, uh, 
you have to understand your strengths and also your weaknesses. I mean, it's it's just it's incredible to me like how much I've said that a million times as but it's incredible. Lots of things. I find I find the whole rookie process, the whole League of Legends behind the scenes thing very, very crazy. Just because it's something that I don't see as a regular basis on a caster. And I feel like I there's always something else that I learn every time I talk about this, and then I realize it's like a bunch of 18-year-olds for the first time learning, leaving their house. Um, incredible, incredibly talented players of the highest caliber that are like so good at League of Legends, but then also have to figure out how to be complete whole humans on top of this very complex thing of like identifying issues of playing the game strategically it's it's an yeah it's an incredible thing that could be my word for the week um but the final and i would argue most important thing is not just how did the rookies get coached how do we find the rookies the question is who's going to be the best rookie and for that we asked three players the same three players we asked earlier that is Karzi, kaiser and skeens uh, about the rookie of the split, who's going to get it, who's going to come out on top. And Yamato, after we listen to this, we're going to talk about who we think is going to be the rookie of the split based on almost no information of two games because that's as much as anyone needs to make a solid prediction. Uh, yeah, so let's check it out. And compared to other rookies, I think I can be better than them. I think that if I keep on improving and I don't get depressed or something, I think I should get the rookie of the split. I think uh, winning Rookie of the Split will be pretty unlikely. I think it takes like uh, selling my soul or something because uh, I think like uh, support is a pretty uh, undervalued role, I would say. And so I think it's going to be like probably Kazi or something. Well, I think I have high sailing. I don't want to sound cocky, cocky, but I think I'm really good. I think I'm the best rookie. (laughs) There there it is. I love, there's so much that I love going on there. Kaja's like, yeah, I have to sell my soul. No one, no one thinks supports are important. Skeens is like, ooh, am I better than Shadow? Very analytical approach. And Kazi's like, huh, I don't want to sound cocky, but unless I get really depressed, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be rookie of the split, no doubt. <laughs> uh, and then my question is, like, obviously, Shadow doesn't sound like someone who we didn't get interviewed. There's a lot of rookies on the table. Bold predictions, Yamato. So I'm going first? You can go first. I'm going first. I can't pick the same one as you, so you, the, this is the advantage of going okay. first. Who's going to be rookie of the split? Oof, 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 oof. Oof. How does the voting go? Um, Do we get to vote? We also get to vote, which is weird. <laughs> Probably should have looked into that ahead of time. We're going to do it anyway. The yeah, sanctity of the rookie split fine. vote. It's like I put four, five points on mine, you put five points on yours. Yeah, or or maybe we just neither of us can vote for either of the people that we voted for. What is on the line? What is on the line? All right. So as you know, we're big on bets here. yeah. We're big on high stakes. Also, as you know, as bets get more elaborate, they take more time to plan. Yes. So we're going to go with the first time ever, Euphoria, I owe you one. I like it. Okay. And it's, we're going to see, it has to be ridiculous. It has to be over the top. Our producers confirmed that we're going to put some resource into this. It's going to be wild. It's going to be highly it's embarrassing. Scary, man. <laughs> it has to be highly embarrassing. We don't know what it is yet. People can send in suggestions if they want. And if we're both wrong, we'll we, owe the world one. If well, all the world won, and specifically our <laughs> producer, John Deppa, who will decide what we're both going to do, and it will be his sole mission to embarrass us as much as humanly possible. And, okay. I mean, that's usually what people want. It's not a good bet if you're having a good time. Okay. You need to be... Then I'm ready. ready. I'm ready. Okay, who are you going to So you pick second, right? I pick second. I go with Shadow. I was going to pick Shadow. Okay. All right. Um... Uh, I got some choices here. The thing, the other thing too, is there's a psychology behind it because the team has to also be decent. So which Mad Lions player? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going Carzy. 
I'm going Carzy. I'm going to say Carzy rookie of the split. 80 carries always win. No one cares about junglers. Jungle's a nerfed role, and that's where you went wrong. I don't care if Shadow's technically a better player or not. Wait, 10.3. They're going to buff jungle something. All right. Carzy versus Shadow. Two Mad Lions players. Honestly, it feels fair. I could vote Saken if I really wanted to just throw it all away. <laughs> mostly because he's not going to play. Great player, just mostly because he's not going to, most likely not going to play. But there it is. Carzy versus Shaken. The final bet. One I owe you one for a dramatic, embarrassing, over the top experience. Um, thank you so much for joining us for this special episode about rookies. It's another week of the LEC tomorrow at 6 p.m. CET. Why did I have to read that? It's the same time every time. Nobody knows. But we're starting with OG versus Rogue. Absolute banger. Two A tier teams, as we call them. Um, take that with a grain of salt because we also called Chalka an A-tier team. <laughs> Whoops. Um, but yeah, we'll see you guys on LEC and next week for another episode of Euphoria.